Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Well, on our last episode of this podcast, we talked about how when it comes to faith, as in life, it's not the destination, but the journey that matters. Well, in today's message, we're going to continue to talk about the journey, but specifically how it often leads right through the pucker brush. It's a message based on Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, and it begins with some of my own autumn memories. It's inevitable. Every year, just about this time, when the leaves are changing color, when there's a chill in the morning air, a little bit of fog as we've been having this week, and, as, and when as evening falls, you can smell just a hint of wood smoke in the distance. Inevitably and immediately, I am transported back to the days long ago when I was growing up and walking through the northern Maine woods with my dad. Now I know, you've heard me speak of this from time to time, usually uh, this time of year. But I, it always comes to mind, and it's always something I want to share with you because I can't even now begin to express to you how formative an experience that all was for me. I mean, with my father as my guide, I got to know those woodlands like the back of my hand. I knew where the cedar swamps and the high ridges all were. I found out where there were apple trees and, and places where partridge might hide and where they might scare you when they took wing and flew. I walked through thick, black growth knolls where you were bound to see signs of white-tailed deer having passed through. I'll tell you what, friends, all these years later, I think I could still sit down and draw you a map of all the well-worn pathways, the old tote roads, and the, and the spotted trails that wound in and through those woods. Not that we actually used them all that much. Now, let me explain this. You might recall uh, I spoke of these so-called spotted trails in a message a few weeks ago. And, and how they always, for me at least, served as a way home on the occasions when I would, shall we say, get turned around in the woods. But as Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story. You see, my father was always the kind of woodsman who, if there was a tote road running on this side and a clear and easy spotted trail running down this side, he would inevitably, again, choose the pucker brush that was standing right in the middle. The pucker brush is where that man would travel. Pucker brush, from the Greek. Just kidding, man. Pucker brush, meaning and I did look this up, dense, tangled undergrowth or scrub consisting of invasive shrubs and small trees. Hence, 
a remote, inaccessible, or uncultivated area. In other words, a wooded mess. But you see, my dad always found his delight tramping through the thickest of the thick, pushing back branches, climbing in and around the blowdowns to get to where he wanted to go, even if where he wanted to go was just an old log somewhere where he could sit and ponder, all the while watching for signs of life and movement in the forest surrounding him. Now, I should confess, at the time, I'm running 14, 15, 16 years old. And as a kid, that really bugged me. I always figured, in my infinite 14-year-old wisdom, that if a tote road or a spotted trail could get you quickly and easily around a cedar swamp, why not use it? Why would anyone want to struggle through a huge mesh of brush and blowdowns when you don't have to? It's safer, right? Because if you're on a path, at least you're, knowing you're going somewhere. And the chances are far less that you're going to find yourself lost on the pathway than if you're out somewhere stuck in the wilderness. Walking through the pucker brush just seemed to me to be counterproductive, a big waste of time. But whenever I asked my father about it, he'd always say pretty much the same thing. Well, yeah, it's, it's harder going this way. Takes a little longer to go. You might not cover as much ground. But, he would go on to say, you're never going to see a whole lot of deer out there in the clearing. They're all hiding out here in the pucker brush. <laughs> out in the pucker brush. Well, actually, as has been the case with a lot of things I learned from my father and my mother over the years, I've discovered that this turns out to be a pretty good lesson for life and living. Eventually, you see, we all learn, do we not, that by and large in this life there are no easy answers. There are no quick fixes. There are no shortcuts. Ultimately, those things that are worth having come to us by hard work, through devotion, in wisdom that's born of experience. And, might I add, some measure of suffering and struggle and a certain amount of sacrifice. That's not to say, you know, that we wouldn't prefer an easier pathway on which to walk. You know, who among us have not thought, however fleetingly, about winning the lottery or suddenly discovering that you have a rich uncle that's left you a fortune? But I think most of us do understand that life's real pathway generally winds in and through the pucker brush of human experience with all of its joys and all of its struggles. Last week, you might remember that we talked about how in life and with faith, it's the journey that matters and not the destination. Well, friends, let me add something to that, that the journey of which we speak tends to take its root not along the easy pathway so much as through the pucker brush. 
But then again, it's through the pucker brush that's life's true meaning and faithful purpose is found. In our text for this morning that Myron shared with us, Mark's gospel tells us that there was this man who literally ran up and knelt before Jesus as Jesus is getting ready to leave on a journey. He runs up, he sits down before Jesus, and he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's not certain that this man was purposely seeking a quick and easy answer to what obviously is a very important question. On the other hand, however, it's clear that this man was someone who knew how to get what he wanted. In scripture, he is often referred to as the rich young ruler. Though Mark, in his version of this story, it's also Matthew and Luke, in Mark's version, he is not described as a rich young ruler. Here he is just referred to as a man, albeit a man with many possessions, as well as everything that goes along with that. Wealth, obviously, status, certainly, power, probably, the security that his place in the world had granted him. Even regarding his religion, what we find out here is this man knew the commandments and moreover, he had kept all of them since his youth. And yet what's clear in this text is that this man also recognized that there was something missing in his life. And what was missing was the security of receiving that which God promises to the faithful. And so quickly, before he got away, the man came to Jesus. And he had no doubt reasoned this all out. He, he thought... If that which was missing in his life was a lack of knowledge, he could study. He could learn what it is he needed to know. If there was something lacking in his performance of religion, shall we say, in his adherence to the law, he could, from Jesus, discover what it was and do what needed to be done. If the answer to his emptiness could be bought somehow or attained or earned, he was determined to find a way to receive it because that's what you do when you are a rich young ruler. All he knew, you see, is that he needed to know. And so he asked Jesus, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? For me, you know, the wonderful thing about this particular passage is that Jesus, even though he is obviously ready to move on, he stops and he listens. And moreover, he never condemns this man for his sincere, if misguided, eagerness. In fact, as the message translates this, Jesus looked him hard in the eye. I like that. Hard in the eye and loved him. 
loved him, as it turns out, with what could only be referred to as tough love. You lack one thing, Jesus answers him. Go, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, of course, you know what happened. We're told that he was shocked, this man. And he went away grieving because, as we've said before, he had many possessions. This is, in fact, the only instance in the four Gospels where someone actually refuses to follow Jesus. For you see, friends, Jesus had made of this man an unreasonable request. It was too much to ask. It was too radical a sacrifice for this man to sell everything he owned because that meant that he would be giving up on all that that he had placed his trust and all that which he depended upon for his life security. Maybe he could have been willing to give up some of it, a little bit, a reasonable amount, but not all of it. Couldn't do that. And so in the face of Jesus' request, all that was left for him to do then was to leave. Now, I don't know about you, but as many times as I have heard this story, it's still not the ending I'm looking for. I mean, let's be honest, shouldn't there be a happier ending here? Shouldn't there be the realization on the part of this man, eventually, at least, that he can let go of everything he has and follow Jesus? Or maybe, let's stretch this out a little bit further, maybe Jesus giving him a wry smile and saying, oh, I'm just kidding with you, man. Come on. We'll talk about this as we go. Or at the very least, friends, could there not have been a compromise in place so this rich young ruler gets what he wants? So there's a win-win, so to speak? Doggone it, the story always ends the same, doesn't it? With this man walking off with a heavy heart. Again, Not the ending I'm looking for, not the ending probably most of us are looking for, but truth be told, it's the understanding, uh, that's the ending we understand. Some years ago now, I heard of a clergy colleague who, as I understand it, had been struggling long and hard to understand his call to the Christian ministry. True story. And by by struggling, what I mean to say is that he appeared to have great gifts for becoming a pastor. He had in his heart for a long time up till this point been sensing a true call to that kind of ministry. He really envisioned himself. He had a vision of serving a church. But in the end, he decided not to follow that call because he discerned that it would be too difficult for his wife and his children to downgrade the lifestyle to which they had become accustomed. So as the story went, he ended up accepting a big promotion within his company, moved to a new city, 
There was more money. There was greater power. It seemed the right thing to do. But as it turned out, he was miserable. Saddened by by what could have and perhaps should have been. Saddened and tormented by a conflict of priorities. The entanglement of values and ultimately regarding, as Robert Frost called it, the road not taken. Now, friends, do not misunderstand me here. I would not and could not fault this man for the decision he made. We all want the best for our families. That's first priority. Any decision on one's life certainly should consider everyone involved. And I will be the first to tell you that while a life and ministry can be and is very good, worthwhile, spiritually fulfilling and otherwise fulfilling, it is also, friends, rarely, if ever, easy. And it is most assuredly not a decision to be taken lightly. So far be it for me to second-guess what this man decided to do. But yet, here this man was with a life filled with wealth and security, perhaps even some ease to some extent, at least ease as the way the world views it. But a life that where it counted was empty. Here was a man imprisoned by the very things in which he reasoned would give him freedom, his comfort, and his joy. No wonder he was miserable. What's interesting here in the scripture text is that after the rich young ruler walks away, Jesus continues to talk on about how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. There's that very familiar reference to the relative ease of a camel going through the eye of a needle compared to someone who's rich entering the kingdom of God. But in the end, what Jesus is talking to them about is less about money per se than it is about all that which we might accumulate in life that will keep us from God. All of that which holds such primacy in our lives. All of that way that we perceive as easier, more comfortable, more convenient. So, given all that, I guess the question this morning for us becomes this. When it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to inheriting eternal life, What is this pathway that we're supposed to take? Do we take the tote road that's wide and clear and easily circumvents the rough part of life journey? Or do we choose the spotted trail, which, while a bit more difficult to follow, still gets you there in half the time and and with considerably less struggle? No, says Jesus says this, if you're going to follow me, here's what you need to do to get where I know you want to be. What you need to do is you need to let go of what you're clinging to. What you need to do is leave everything you have behind. You need to set your compass and you got to head right through the pucker brush in front of you. 
Entering the kingdom of heaven, you see, means trusting God and God alone to see us through the journey. Ultimately, it's not about our rich, young, ruling selves moving from riches to poverty, at least not in a literal sense. But rather, it's about moving ourselves from the life that is shallow and empty to the life that leads to wholeness and fulfillment. Which, by the way, I have to add here, might well be the same thing, just saying. It is about living the life that is truly and spiritually holistic in which all things work together for the good of heart and soul and spirit, in which the so-called easy pathways on which we've come to depend are abandoned in favor of the messy pucker brush that will inevitably come when you live a life of faith. And if that sounds difficult, friends, well, it is. And know that Peter and the other disciples were just as astounded by Jesus' insistence on this as we might be. Feels impossible to us that such a hard road could ever lead to such glory. And maybe, as Jesus goes on to say, if you think you can pull it off by yourself, it is going to be hard. But then again, Maybe you'll have every chance in the world of getting to where you want to be if you let God's do it. For by God's grace and guidance, all things are possible. Even and especially for all those brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children who have left everything for the sake of the good news. The last of people who will be the first. And yes, let's say it again. The way may well be hard. In fact, I dare say it will be hard, very hard. If you follow this way of Jesus, you'll be walking through all the briars and brambles and you will be forced to slow down at times. You will be forced to kind of work your way out of the difficulties. You'll feel like you've constantly been turned around. You will feel like you've covered no ground at all. But here's the thing. Along the way, even as you're going through all of that mess, you'll see what you've never been able to see out in the clearing. You will bear witness to things that you would never see by looking down the horizon at the tote road. Everything that really matters in a life of faith, friends, is going to be right there in the prucker brush. You just have to be willing to walk through it. But we never do walk it alone. That's important to remember, too. As we go through the pucker brush, the Almighty is there with us picking us up when we have fallen, guiding our footsteps in and around the blowdowns, helping us to know that while it is certainly confusing, distressing, and seemingly impossible at times, there is a destination. God will be walking with us. So let us 
move right through the pucker brush. And as we do, may our thanks be to God who walks with us even and especially through the pucker brush. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Through the Pucker Brush. It was recorded during our October the 10th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. And as always, we'd invite you to join us at East Church for our in-person worship that happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Or if you prefer, join us live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, we'd love to have you be with us, and I'd love to be able to welcome you. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.